0: Quickly to Wall. Wall yeah, measures. Neal gets open for three.
1: Dagger!
0: Please, we'll what a time. Here. Here. here comes Pierce with five seconds left. Pierce with three. Pierce with two. Pierce throws away at the horn. It's good! Morris, Waltz, Biel, and stop it. With Morris Wall, Neal, and Gortzow. Harder can't find anybody, he gives it to Wolfe, Werner gets Bradley for three, oh, what a shot, about a yeah. Wow. Wow. yeah, everybody clip out, hand me the ride. So i one so for sixteen? yeah, I got a thousand You know, it, was a, it was a solid look I probably should have got to more towards the middle of the floor and cleared out the corner. So uh, they did a good job of helping. I was looking to drive first and you know, look at true tough one. But, uh, like I always say, win or lose, is going to be on my shoulders. So if we, were, if we went down, I'll take you, you know, and, it. And I'm only going to be in that situation for the rest of my career. So I got to get used to it. Defense. Yeah, it start going in.
1: Hey guys! So that was Bradley Beal talking about he's gonna get a thousand more of these clutch shot opportunities, and this is the Locked On Wizards podcast. Uh, I am your host Noah Getzel. We are here with—I almost forgot your real name for a second, Brendan, but the Twitter name is ThreesusChrist. And so Brad Beal says he's gonna, you know, get a thousand more of these. Clutch opportunities uh, throughout the rest of his career. He thinks they're going to start dropping. I think that'll depend on the play that the coach draws up from. But this is the Wizards Extra Podcast, and we are going to talk about um, the Wizards' thrilling overtime finish, 117-113. to We'll talk about the good and bad, and how it seemed like the Wizards were at some points doing everything they could do to lose that game. Then we're going to talk about a a potentially big injury for the Wizards. Otto Porter's been struggling with hip issues, not just throughout... This season, but throughout his NBA career and even when he was a star at Georgetown. So he went down and missed uh, the end of the fourth quarter in overtime. So we'll talk about the Wizards' options and how long they should rest him and what sort of wing depth they have. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Ramon Sessions' debut and the Wizards' meeting with some of the NBA officiating heads and mentors to talk about where things stand now in terms of player-referee tensions and what kind of changes could could foreseeably happen in the future so we're going to get started with the game recap brendan can you please start off by introducing yourself you've been on the podcast before we're thrilled to have you back uh let us know who you are and how to spell your awesome twitter name
2: all right, right. So my name is Brendan, and you can find me on Twitter at threezustris. T H R E E Z U S T R I S T. And I'm formerly, I was formerly with Wizards Extra, Hoops Nation, the Beale Street Bears, and Sir Charles in Charge. And now I'm actually starting my own site, so I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, so I need to know about me.
1: Awesome. So what kind of sticks out about from uh, this overtime uh, victory for the Wizards, where? It seemed like they made some good defensive stops, and there were definitely highlights from the game that we'll talk about. For example, you know, hitting 14 three-pointers, trying to do your best impression over in the Nova High Schools back in the day, Brendan. But uh, there were there were clearly some faux pas as well. Um, how many? 19 turnovers, I believe. So that's not looking too good. Um, the Wizards snapped their three-game losing streak. And then also uh, kind of just like the late-game, lack of execution they had a chance to win it with 22 seconds to go at the end of regulation got off an awful attempt from Beal which was an iso ball play totally, tightly guarded and then they almost they probably should have had a turnover their 20th turnover late in overtime when it seemed like there was a five second violation but the refs were lenient so what do you think like sticks out about what allowed the Wizards to, to win this one, Brendan? Um,
2: I think it's a simple matter of Miami just doesn't have uh, simply enough talent as Washington, and I think that that's what got them over the top, especially, um, you know, in those close moments in the fourth quarter and overtime when they needed to make plays and they were there, you know. There were still moments there where the Wizards were, you know, kind of jacking up and not making the correct plays, and that's just kind of the things that they always do, but I think just due to lack of Miami's star power they were just kind of able to get over the top and this is something that we're just kind of accustomed to as Wizards fans when they had the 18 point lead or whatever it was I mean I'm sure Mm -hmm. no one thought that they were just going to go ahead and keep steamrolling this team Miami and Wizards games are always close and if someone ever gets a big lead the other team always fights back that's just typically how it goes and that was the case tonight but again just the better team won the more talented team won and I think that was a deciding factor
1: Mm-hmm. What was pretty surprising to me is that uh, the whole starting lineup for the Heat, let's see, 32-8, and eight, 40 points, 49 points, and then 64 off the bench. So like Hassan Whiteside, who I think he missed the All-Star game this year, Dragic was their one All-Star, but like Hassan Whiteside is supposedly one of the best centers in the league, and he was limited incredibly. Uh, eight points and six rebounds, four of those offensive, just shot four of nine. If I were to tell you that Never mind. Would you like? Would you think the, this game would even go to overtime with with Hassan Whiteside performing so terribly? I guess it just says a, a ton about the depth of the the Heat team.
2: Um, I think it, it goes back to the depth. I think the the Heat are definitely a. A deeper team than the Wizards, not by much, but it's definitely there, especially from their guard play off the bench with guys like Tyler Johnson. Um, Josh Richardson was a guy who I know I think started tonight and has been starting for a while, but he's a guy that used to come off the bench, especially in previous seasons. But um, again, I think it's just the depth and it speaks to that. And they were able to keep them in the game and bring them back in the game. So definitely um, more Giving credit to Miami steps.
1: Mm-hmm. And let's recap like how the the narrative of this game kind of unfolded a little bit. So the wizards started the game up what twenty five to seven. um and it was just ridiculous shooting numbers. Their defense was on point. And then uh, at the end of the first quarter, it was like a eighteen to six run. the wizards ended up leading thirty one twenty five. But then in the second quarter, like the, the Heat run just kind of continued. It, it kind of went up to 30-12, to 12, and the Heat were able to tie the game up at 39. So this 18-point lead totally evaporated. And then to start the second half, the Heat got four consecutive steals. So the Wizards were really sloppy with the ball after, I think they had six, I believe, uh, like it, it, was, it was bad. It was basically like in the third quarter, they had six turnovers. The, the whole first half, they just had seven. That obviously ended up with nineteen, which isn't the best number. Um why are the Wizards you know, I guess they're playing a playoff opponent, but it just seems like they can never really put their foot on the throat of the opponents and take advantage of these big leagues and leads and close team out teams out, uh stop the and you know, just give their guys some some rest in the fourth quarter. We had Beale playing forty three minutes once again after he did that last night. Or not last night, Sunday.
2: Yeah, it's definitely frustrating. It's I think it again it goes back to the head of the snake. So this game, for particular, you would have to look at Bradley Beal and guys like Otto Porter, in um, big moments like that, and when they are able to just kind of put you know the foot down on the gas and just roll over a team, and especially with like John Wall too. They just don't do it. They kind of mm-hmm. fade back. They don't care as much, especially on the defensive end. And I think that's what we just saw tonight. And Miami's a team that you don't want hitting those momentum shots, and they absolutely are a team that hits momentum shots, and they don't like to get out in the arc. Sometimes the Wizards don't, and uh, the Heat are definitely a team that's going to capitalize on that. So that was a huge part of it. And, yeah, it's just definitely more of an effort and a mentality thing, and I still just don't see the killer instinct that – needs to be had going into the postseason and again these guys are different players in the postseason this is just a regular season game and right was the result of this game gonna like decide like a whole bunch of things no it wasn't but it's, it's you're getting to a point now in the season where these wins are gonna you know start mattering and i know that in past seasons we start um mentioning this every year even at the beginning we say these games down the line are going to matter, especially when it comes to standings. And I mean, that especially holds true now and especially with the tough schedule, you can't, you don't really have room to let up. But I think that what we've seen over the past few games is the Wizards have been really tired. But I don't think tonight they look so tired. But mm-hmm. uh, obviously, like you said, they played heavy minutes. Field played 43, Marquise played 41, um, Otto played 31. So that's definitely not what you want to see. You want to be able to close these guys out pretty quick.
1: Yeah, and when you talk about the killer instinct, can we go back and talk about two particular plays which seemed like the Wizards totally dropped the ball and then dodged a bullet so I'm talking about the last play in regulation when the Wizards had 22 and a half seconds to go and uh held it for a little bit he found Beal he kind of like everyone cleared out he just tried to make a one-on-one iso move and then uh the wing defender seemed to kind of flinch at jumping over as Beal was kind of like pulling up for his step back jumper that fell way short and so that wasn't you know the the best executed play when you have that much time on the clock to, to do something besides just iso. And then uh, in, in overtime, with about 10 seconds to go, the Heat got two of the shots that like they couldn't have asked for better looks, essentially. Um, so Dwayne Wade, who had a big game off the bench, 15 points. He's obviously one of the best closers in, I don't know, the past two decades of basketball. And he took Tom- Tomas Sadaransky right down into the post. Pump fake, got pretty much wide open, but uh, Markeith Morris was able to come in and contest the shot a little bit so Wade missed it but Markeef coming over for that help left uh, Kelly Olenek wide open for that put back rebound lucky he missed it as well Oubre got the rebound and it was history from there and finally one other uh, big mistake that the Wizards made in fourth quarter in overtime they shot four of eight from the free throw line which turned out not to be costly but it really put them at risk so let's start with the end of regulation What would you have liked to see um, in terms of a a play to to win the game with the score tied? Obviously, Scott Brooks seems to to favor just, okay, let's let the time expire. Let me give the ball to my best player and see what happens instead of let's execute something. You know, more of X and O's approach to try and getting a play run instead of just saying everyone clear out, Beal's going to take it.
2: Well, I think that we can all agree that in that situation with Otto Porter being out that Beal needed to take the shot. And that's not the problem that um, – well, that's not the thing that I had an issue with. I would have liked to see more movement. So, for example, they could have uh, they could have just set a simple ball screen. They could have had Markeith Morris or Mike Scott set it. Um, Mike Scott can pop or roll. Uh, Markeith Morris is at, can do both as well. So. Mm -hmm. Um, either of those options would have worked you could have done a floppy screen and maybe um i mean i know beal was he got a screen essentially to get open but it was kind of way too early maybe you do it a few seconds later and set a different kind of screen like i said a floppy screen to kind of get him open more on the wing and if it's not there then he can attack distribute if someone's open you know draw help side whatever but Pretty much those two options is what I would have preferred other than a Beal iso. And I know that Beal is good sometimes in isolation. He has that nice turnaround jumper that he's kind of perfected, but you're not going to get that in that kind of situation. And I think he was sold on the fact that he was going to get there, beat his opponent, do that step back or that turnaround jumper, and obviously, again, it didn't work.
1: And then in overtime, do you think it it was like poor defense or it was just like a a positive matchup um, on that final play where Wade was able to get all the way into the paint? Pump fake and then, you know, just inches away from from getting that. What would it, it would have tied the game? Is that right? Were the wizards yeah. down to at that point or up to? Yeah. Okay. Do you think there was an issue? Do you take any issue with that defensive stand?
2: Uh, I mean, you would have like. The thing, and Wade's a Hall of Famer first and foremost, so I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to crap on Wade by anything. I mean, he can still get to his spot whenever the hell he wants. But the the thing about it is you would like to see Saturansi square him up a little bit more and kind of don't give him – that range to get to the basket but the problem with that is is Wade is so good at drawing fouls so even if Saddle were to jump in front and kind of cut him off or square him off or whatever they're probably going to give him a foul call so then you're at the situation there where I don't remember if they were in the bonus or not or whatever but Wade could have pump faked and gotten to the line and shot free throws so you're kind of looking at the same thing and obviously you never want to jump on Mm -hmm. pump fakes you you never want to jump on any shot unless you're for sure That it's going up for sure. That's something that my coach always told me and that's something that I like to use when teaching or when watching basketball in general and it frustrates me so much because Kelly Oubre is the guy that jumps at shots all the time and it bothers the living crap out of me. But um, yeah, this is a situation where Sadoransky should have known better. He's a smart player and I thought that that shot was as good as going in. So the Wiz definitely dodged a bullet there.
1: Right. And, you know, the, another good point you raise is not only is Dwayne Wade a Hall of Famer, but the way he draws contact and kind of sells the contact proved to be a big difference, too. Um, He was able to tie the score really late in the fourth quarter when he, it looked like he didn't get touched whatsoever, when Beale kind of might have slightly breathed the same breath as him in the corner, but uh, Wade got to a free throw line for three shots, which were clutch, and he converted. So, of course, it's frustrating. Yeah, 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 that was Ubre. I must have misspoke. My bad. So yeah, Wade was the shooter in the corner. It looked like it wasn't yeah. a foul, but yeah, Ubre must have gone in there for a little bit. So yeah, it's something to be aware of. Like even if there are whatever three seconds left on that final shot, like you don't want to, you don't want to put him on the line, put him in position for an and one. That's a good point. We're gonna take a real quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about Otto Porter and a, another hip injury he sustained, and what kind of options the Wizards have. Moving forward to get creative with their lineup and possibly even, you know, maybe add another player since Ramon Sessions is only here for 10 days, presumably, unless he signs for the rest of the year. So, Locked On Wizards podcast is coming right back. I'm your host, Noah Getzel, and Brendan Smith will be right back with you.
0: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the Locked On Wizards podcast. Uh, The Wizards got a big overtime win over another playoff opponent, Miami Heat, tonight. So the Wizards advanced to... 37-28, Thirty-seven and twenty-eight, and the uh, the Heat are three games behind them. One one thing that uh, kind of stuck out in the final end of the fourth quarter and then overtime was the lack of Otto Porter, who was jumping for like a it looked like a long outlet pass and got a little bit undercut and came down really hard on his hip, which has had issues throughout his career. What did you see on that play, Brendan? And do you think it, it seems like something that's going to linger? Um, he did stay in the game a little bit longer, hit a three, but then he was he was done for the night.
2: Well, I thought first originally when it happened, then I saw where he was grabbing. It looked like he was holding his thigh, so I thought, oh, okay, he just got a Charlie horse. Maybe he got kneed on the way up or whatever, but then you're like, oh, it's the hip, and you hear Buck and Chris Miller talking about, oh, he's getting his hip looked at, and you're like, oh, well, that's not good. Uh, But it was just two guys going up for a ball. It definitely shouldn't have been a foul call or anything like that. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, the Wizards seriously have to be one of the worst outlet teams in the league. Like, seriously. Every time we throw an outlet pass, we fumble it or we don't get it. It goes out of bounds or something. It is crazy, but... The real frustrating
1: um, part is it seems like they're always off of steals or blocks or, like, some way the Wizards force a turnover, and then they're like, all right, let's go and transition, and then all of a sudden they give it right back.
2: I think they just get too excited is what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, but this play, by the way, came with 8.29 to go. So the Wizards, let's see, when did he sub out? Um, Yeah, so Porter uh, hit that three like with 8.30, and then the very next play, I think the Wizards called, uh, yeah, the Heat called timeout after that because the Wizards went up by four, and then Markeith Morris replaced Porter, and his night was done, so he missed, what, eight and a half plus five minutes of overtime. Those were crucial minutes. Do you think it, it'll be something... That like the wizards should be incredibly cautious about in terms of resting Porter the rest of the way, even though they or not the rest of the way, but like trying to figure out some way to give him perhaps a couple games off, just because he's such a crucial part to what the wizards will bring in the playoffs. Would you be willing to sacrifice a couple of seating spots in order to make sure that Otto's healthy?
2: Well, first off, let me say that I don't like when any player on our team gets injured, but I am happy that this happened. And the reason I'm happy that this happened is because now Otto Porter's now missed a game. Kelly Oubre's missed a game. What have we noticed in both games when just one of those guys is not playing? There is no depth, there is no length, and there is no one else that you can put in there. And most Wizards fans now have been wanting a wing, not a point guard, which we decided to go with Ramon Sessions. And there's been plenty of guys now, and the Wizards have had an opportunity to get, and either their sales pitch wasn't good enough, or they simply just haven't looked. And these are guys like Marco Bellinelli, Shabazz Muhammad, and then there's plenty of other free agents that can still be signed. And I know, like, the League and the Chinese Basketball Association, whatever, they're probably getting towards the end of their seasons or whatever, but the wing position still needs to be addressed. And I'm hoping that these Oubre and Otto injuries... Ring some sort of bell in Ernie's head that something needs to be done because this can't happen anymore. But going back to should the Wizards consider resting him, I think it depends on what their aspirations are. Are they okay with being, you know, the four, five, six seed? You know, I personally wouldn't want to play Cleveland in the first round. Um, so I would continue to try and maybe possibly even try to get the third seed. And if that's the case, mm-hmm. then you can't rest out of order but I think that if you can get a decent enough wing, then maybe you can start thinking about that down the line. But again, if you don't make the move, then you can't give guys like Beal and Otto rest. And that's going to be certainly frustrating. And especially for Beal, if he keeps racking up these minutes, but obviously, you know, Otto Porter, um, his hip is not great. So you're going to need him preserved for the playoffs. So I think that they do need to make a move and get a wing. Um, and (sighs) sad to say that there has been no interest. Um, in a wing so far up to this point. So it's hard to say where they're going to go moving forward, but it needs to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. And then one of the guys you mentioned, Shabazz Muhammad, uh, he was released by the Timberwolves, and now he's on the Milwaukee Bucks, so a Wizards rival in the, the playoff picture. Um, I don't I don't know how many prospects are, are left, but you mentioned um, one guy, who was it, Hollis Thompson? Is that right? Who might be a, a potential option for that you like? He's high on your radar for the Wizards, right?
2: He is. I have always been a... Big Hollis Thompson advocate. He was with the Sixers for a while, um, is an excellent shooter, is a good team player. He's big, so he can play both wing positions. He's 6'8", around 205, 206 pounds, so um, maybe not the most big guy. He's kind of got like an Oubre frame a little bit. Mm -hmm. Definitely doesn't have the wingspan of Oubre, but you got what I'm saying. He's tall, um, and he's lanky, and he's definitely a guy that I could see fitting in and getting some minutes. He's definitely a productive player.
1: And do you think Mike Scott could potentially be able to slide into the small forward position? He is 6'8", um, 237 pounds, so that's a little bit heftier than you might want You know, chasing guys off the three-point line. But do you foresee him more being the, the four-man or per- perhaps like a stretch five in a small ball lineup and not really able to be versatile enough to shift into the, the small forward spot?
2: No, I wouldn't put Mike Scott in the small four position at all, mm-hmm. and I don't understand why so many people think that they could put him there. His defense would not be that great. His offense obviously would limit him. It just wouldn't be a good idea. Maybe if this was like the 2000-whatever-it-was Detroit Pistons when they rolled out the lineup of, what was it, Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond, and Josh Smith like, all in the front frontcourt at the same time. like That's essentially what you'd be doing, and we saw how well that worked out. So, no, I wouldn't play Mike Scott at the three at all.
1: Okay, so essentially, your only solution if injuries continue to be an issue, and even if they don't, like either you know get Devin Robinson some reps, bring him off the G League, or actually sign someone who can contribute, because you never you don't want to take any chances uh, on you know a lack of depth once you're coming into the playoffs, especially like Porter has had these issues on and off all season, and it definitely affected him earlier in the season. He he missed some games. A lot of people were complaining that. He wasn't really as fast in terms of his defensive recoveries and running out on the break, which is where he earns all of his, all of his bread, just like being that, that high energy hustle guy who can, you know, do all the things that Kelly Oubre has done this year, maybe with a bit higher basketball IQ. you.
2: Right, exactly. And my thing is, like, we wouldn't necessarily need to sign a wing. Like, if John Wall were healthy, you could slide Saddle right into that position and he'd be True. okay. But we don't have the luxury of doing that. So I think, and especially even if wall comes back, you know, he's only, he's probably going to be starting out getting what, like 20 minutes his minutes are going to have to increase pretty rapidly. So, um, You don't want to put too much pressure on a guy like that. So I think that if these injuries keep happening, especially with the wing players, there needs to be a signing. I mean, I think there needs to be a signing right now regardless. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if Otto and Ubre are healthy, there still needs to be at wing depth because Jody Meeks particularly is not the best player. And he's been actually, I think, pretty decent since the All-Star break. He hasn't still hit some of the shots that you would like to see him make, but he's been more engaged. He's been better. And I think that if Scott Brooks keeps running the offense around him in the second unit, that You'll see more results, but again, when you kind of exile him and you kind of tell him to sit in the corner and then make a play out of nowhere at times, he's going to look bad. Um, But he definitely also, like I said, he hasn't hit those shots that we've needed him to make, but he does look more engaged, so that's
1: a positive sign. And you mentioned uh, the point guard play, so like if Wall was healthy, could possibly be flexible with with Sadoransky's positioning. Um, What did you think of the first showing this season of Vermont Sessions, who played a little bit in the 2014-15 year, and then he was like the full-time backup 2015-16 and 16 for the Wizards. Uh, he had six points, but only went one of five tonight. Uh, he This is his second 10-day contract. He just signed it on Monday. After the first stint, he played five games, but didn't actually log any minutes in any of those games. So was it surprising at all to see him come in as the first point guard off the bench instead of uh, Tim Frazier, and did you like Sessions' pro- production um in 13 minutes, six points, one assist, four free throws?
2: Um, I actually thought that he was going to be the backup point guard going forward until um, either they decide to release him or sign him for the rest of the season. I mean, I think I knew especially when you bring a guy like that back for a second 10 day who didn't play at all, you're obviously going to play him the second time around. So um, I didn't think it was the case. Like some people thought that they were just trying to fill a roster spot so they don't get penalized or whatever the hell it is. But I thought he played okay. Um, He's still hesitant like most players are when they first get signed to a team. He shied away from from some shots. Like, for example, he had a couple wide open wing threes that he could have taken. And then, like, he took a contested one in the corner that – skated off the front of the rim so he didn't like to see that but he was aggressive he attacked the basket he had some you know a couple of questionable shots that he threw up there and probably weren't the best of things but I mean we knew what Ramon Sessions was if we were expecting mm-hmm. um like a very efficient Ramon Sessions is that we were going to get we were getting a guy that's going to be chaotic and try to get to the rim um his playmaking was a little lesson to be um desired he had mike scott i think on one play and i was like oh ramon just dished the ball and he didn't do it but mm-hmm. um he was wide open so and, i mean he obviously isn't the best of playmakers either but we knew that but he had some yeah. big moments for the wizards in the playoffs and he's a guy that's not scared at the moment and i think that he's going to fit in nicely as the backup point guard until john wall comes back
1: so you like him backing up sanarinsky better than frazier at this point absolutely and what what do you think uh, Frazier's weaknesses are? Just inability to shoot and defend bigger bigger point guards.
2: I mean, yeah, I mean it, it's pretty much just about a size thing at this point. I was watching closely today at how Sessions was um, at just his height was doing something like sh- making those guards shy away from shots. Like he would be maybe a couple feet away from guys or whatever, but he, just his height and having a hand up just kind of make guys like Dragan shy away from shots, and that's something that, you know, in those situations if Fraser were in there, they probably shoot those shots. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if Fraser were 6'3", and 190 pounds, whatever Ramon Sessions is, I mean, I would definitely take Fraser over to Ramon Sessions. I think that he is a more skilled player than Ramon Sessions, yeah. but Ramon is more aggressive. He gets to the line like we saw. Um, I think that one thing that I noticed tonight, too, is his foul drawing. Right. skill or whatever if you want to call it a skill is still there and so when you have a guy like that and then Meeks in there both are good at drawing fouls I think that will be good for the second unit
1: absolutely yeah and it's it's not too big of a difference but like when you you think about point guards like you want to be at least six foot three and then when you look at Frazier he's six one maybe if you're generous and he only weighs 170 pounds so we're gonna take one more quick break from Locked on Wizards podcast we'll be back to talk about um, the relationship between players and officials because the Wizards had a meeting with Monty McCutcheon, who has a new role in the league, who's kind of mentoring. He's overseeing all the, all the officiating in terms of training and development. So we'll talk about some player quotes on that matter right after the break. So stay tuned.
0: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama.
1: What's going on everyone? Locked on Wizards podcast is back. I'm your host Noah Getzel, and Brendan Smith is our guest joining us tonight. Um, The last uh, section of this podcast I want to talk about is kind of like the relationship between players and referees that's been an ongoing issue not just this year but in past years. Um, So Markeith Morris had some interesting comments that I'm going to play for you uh, right after this and so basically he said that everything that the that players are saying to the refs basically just goes in one ear and out the other, like Morris still got a technical foul tonight uh, for arguing with a call um, that he thought was, I, I believe he thought it was a charge, but he was called for a block if, if that's right. Um, and he, he basically, yeah, he said, you know, nothing's changed. These discussions won't really do anything this year, but he's optimistic about what might change next season. And he said, the game isn't about the players and the refs it's like the players are just playing for the fans so they're trying to clean up the different tensions between officials and players because it's kind of at like an all-time high right now what do you think and then beal of course was more he his uh analysis of the discussion was that he's he's happy that there's a dialogue and he you know he was a little bit more diplomatic but that's the way he you know responds in interviews versus marquise morris so do you foresee any changes in the playoffs? Do you think what what do you think is going on with the situation and do you think anything's going to change, Brendan?
2: No, I don't think that anything is going to change and I'm glad that there's like you said there's starting to be dialogue and I'm sure the players appreciate that and I'm sure the referees are happy that they get to voice their concerns to the players as well and uh, but I just don't think that that's going to change a whole lot of stuff. And I mean if you have players that are going to keep, you know, talking and saying whatever they're going to say and keep getting technical fouls, I mean, that is on them. That is their fault. Now, I do agree with the foul calling in general that it does need to be more balanced because obviously, you know, there are superstar calls, you know, quote-unquote, and whatever you want to call them, and especially with guys like James Harden and Isaiah Thomas who just kind of flop and get calls, and I hate them both so much for it, but they're obviously good at acting, and that's fine. But it needs to be more balanced. There shouldn't have to be a term called superstar calls. It should just be balanced. If it's a foul, call it. If it's not, then don't call it. But uh, all in all, I don't think that that's going to – n- nothing is going to change from doing this. And again, the dialogue is good. It's positive, And maybe you start inching more and more towards making it even as the years come. But I mean especially this year and going into the playoffs, there's a lot of top-heavy talent with some of these teams. I mean it's just – it's not going to be even let be real.
0: Why do
1: you think that flopping has picked up so much? in, I don't know the past five years. Let's say like it just seems that it's it's so much more common than it used to be. Uh, ever since like they changed the hand check rule, or I'm not quite sure what it is, but players are just you know pleading to officials instead of playing the game.
2: It's just because I I think it's because the players are whining too much and the rest are just kind of caving and saying, "Okay." then that's where the other players get mad because then they say, well, you give this guy this call because he complains. So now I'm going to complain until I get the call. And I think that was a situation that John Wall was in for a little while. A lot of guys get calls and then – you know he wouldn't, and then now it's like even when Wall doesn't, he clearly doesn't get fouled, and he still wants to call, and then he gets mad. And me personally, I'm looking at John Wall like, well, you got to do a better job of drawing contact because you're not drawing fouls, you're not. But um, I, you understand his frustration, you relate with that because, like I said, there are guys out there that get those calls, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a balance.
1: Yeah, I think this uh, arguing with the officials spills over way too much in terms of like the Wizards are a team that really struggle when maybe like they miss a shot or they just think they get a foul call, but no whistle is blown. And then they're they're often like their transition defense is just terrible. And like, you can tell it a lot when John Wall, you know, drives in and he goes into the teeth of defense, draws a lot of contact. They call nothing. It's a turnover. He stays, he doesn't hustle back. And then everyone's energy is just low when they see him not even going back on defense. So it's, it's definitely an issue to be addressed. And I think, I think you're right like the the biggest thing is that players just can't be babies and even if they seem like they're getting fouls just kind of trust the refs know that it's going to even out and like keep keep playing you got to hustle back because ultimately you're not just costing your team two points if you miss a layup when you think you get fouled you might be costing your team four or five because you don't play defense the next play.
2: Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I've been harping on wall with, too, is just his effort after he doesn't get a call. And, I mean, that's all around the league, too. And if guys don't get a call, then they want to pout. And it's not the same hard-nosed type rough style. You know, you just got to kind of just fight through it and just keep playing basketball. And I hope that that's something that he's going to do when he comes back, because they're going to need that.
1: Mm -hmm. All right, Brennan. Will the Wizards get one day off and then it's back Let's see, are the Wizards playing Friday or Saturday? It's Friday night in New Orleans, then Saturday I in think Miami. it's Friday,
2: and then yeah. Yeah, Friday so and
1: two, Saturday. Two-day rest, which is well-deserved. Marky Morris played 41 minutes. Beol played back-to-back nights of 43. Tomas Sadoranski had 39 uh, tonight against the Heat, so, you know, heavy minute load. It's not going to get any easier from here. They'll have to embrace these days off and hopefully get a couple of road victories before they're back home Tuesday. So thanks so much for joining and listening in on the Locked On Wizards podcast. I should have said this a half hour ago, but you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify. You can listen on Google Home. You can visit us on the web, LockedOnWizards.com. Listen on SoundCloud. Uh, follow us on Twitter. And that's that's all we got. Um, <laughs> so thank you, Brendan. And I hope to see you back on, on the podcast soon.
2: All right. Thanks for having me as always.
1: Absolutely, man. Here's Markeith Morris on player-referee relations. He says it's at an all-time worst right now, so listen then. Take care. Take care.
0: This morning you guys met with Monty McCutcheon. For this respect of the rules, respect of the game um, stuff, what was your takeaway? still got a check tonight, so honestly it really doesn't like none of that. You know, just went like all of it just went in one ear out the other. You know, because sometimes, you know, promotions get involved and you know guys just jumping the gun. But you know, hopefully next year it'll change though.
1: Morris was then asked if it seemed like a dialogue where the players and were actually trying to talk with the officials or if it was more more so one sided. And he said it seemed like an open dialogue.
0: But it was more so them talking and trying to clean up the the Bunch of different stuff. Uh you know, there's just a lot going on between the players and the reps right now. And we just trying to uh, you know, you know, honestly the game is not, it's not about the players and, and the reps. We playing for the fans, so we're trying to, trying to clean it up a, a whole lot. You know, it's it's had an all-time high right now. Hey Prime members, you can listen to this locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.